right, it's good to see everyone. How are you all doing? Uh, isn't it, it's going to be a powerful time on Friday. Aren't you guys excited for that? Yeah, oh, wait, wait a sec. Aren't you guys excited for this upcoming Friday? Come on now. Listen, trust me, there's not going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, and this and that. So, so we're, we're excited and uh, we're praying that you guys come, that you guys are encouraged by it, that you invite your friends and get transformed by the life transforming message of Jesus Christ, the only one who lives, the one who has salvation in his name. Amen. 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 You know, I just feel led um, as we start just to talk about uh, this day. We're going to be talking about the power of words. But I want to emphasize to you guys, as someone who is a professor of religion, uh, have two graduate degrees in it, including one from Princeton Theological Seminary, there is no spiritual truth outside the words of the Bible. Uh, Let me tell you, there's not spiritual words of truth in the Quran, in the Gita, in books on mysticism. There's not spiritual truth in words that come from psychics and mediums. There's only one source of spiritual truth, and that comes from the word of God. And I say that because I've just had so many conversations with so many uh, in our community, so many outside of our community that are seeking answers and seeking knowledge outside of the word of God. And I want to tell you that there is an unseen realm that's very real. There is a realm in which Satan and his little lackeys, we call them demons in the scripture, they navigate and they seek to entice, they seek to deceive, they seek to lead into darkness. And when you engage in seeking knowledge, spiritual knowledge outside of the revelation of God, God's word, you are exposing yourself to the kingdom of darkness. So I want you guys to know that. Uh, Peter said, uh, or rather Jesus asked the disciples, are any of you going to leave me? And Peter looks to Jesus and he says, where else would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. It's in Christ that there are the words of eternal life. And so I I say that to you all um, as your friend, as your pastor, as a scholar in the subject. Um, If you're seeking spiritual truth this morning, Uh, You don't have to look any further than the words in here, which tells you about the reality of who God is and the reality of the spiritual realm. Amen? Amen. All right. If you would, would you bow your hearts with me? Most high God, we stand here as a united people in your name, and we ask that you would come in resurrection power. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit even now, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, if there's anything that is not of you in the name of Jesus, that it would go and that it would flee, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that words of truth, words of life would be spoken for the edification of your people this morning. In the name of our Lord and our Savior and all God's people say amen. Amen, 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 amen. So as I mentioned, we are going to be talking about the power of words. In particular, we're going to be talking this morning about the consequences of listening to the wrong words, the consequences of listening to the words that will lead you away from the truth of what God has said. And um, we're going to turn our attention to a passage that comes from the book of Numbers, the 13th chapter. Uh, But before we read that, I want to give you some cultural, historical context to that particular passage. Like most stories in the Old Testament, it begins with this man named Abraham. Abraham is considered the father or the patriarch of the Israeli people. And so it begins with Abraham and God establishes a covenant or he makes a promise to Abraham. And in that promise, he promises Abraham's descendants a land. And this land is later known as Israel. So he makes a promise to them. Now, 
Generations upon generations pass. The people become enslaved in Egypt. And God, through miraculous uh, plagues and miracles, he delivers his people from Egypt. And now they're traveling through the wilderness and they get to the cusp of the promised land. The land that was promised to their forefathers generations and generations before. And when they're at the cusp of the land, this story happens. So read with me from the book of Numbers, chapter 13. And it reads, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with them said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Nak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and looked the same to them. This is one of the tragic stories of the Old Testament. As I mentioned, God had given a promise to Abraham in which he said, this land is for your descendants. It was theirs. It was a gift. They just had to take possession of the promise that God had given them. And generations and generations had gone in which they were hoping for the fulfillment of this promise that was promised so long ago. In fact, it had been over 400 years. Generation and generation hoping and seeking and waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of God. And then this generation was the generation that left chains of bondage. They left slavery. And now they were at the cusp of the land, ready to take their inheritance that had been promised to them. And then sabotage occurs. You see, Moses, he sends the spies to the land, and they report, in fact, that the land was good. How many of you know that the promises of God are good? Amen? The land was good. Uh, in fact, they say it was flowing with milk and honey. Now, now honey is, refers to the, the, the syrup that comes from the Middle Eastern date, not bee honey. It was from the syrup from a, a, a plant. And so they say it's flowing with milk and honey. This is actually code word in the ancient world to say that this was land that was great for, for herding animals as well as planting agriculture. And that was significant because in the ancient world, uh, herders and farmers don't get along. 
Uh, why? Because the herders want all the land for their animals to graze, and then the farmers need land for, to plant their crops. And then even worse, the animals will sometimes eat the crops. So farmers and herders don't get along. So when they come back and say that the land is flowing with milk, the milk that comes from the goat, and honey, the syrup that comes from the date, what they were saying is this land is ideal for those who are herders, those who are farmers. There's a place for everyone in the land. The promise of the Lord is good. But then something strange starts to happen. There was 12 spies that were sent. Ten of them begin to spread some words. They begin to spread these words in which they say, we can't do it. The people there are too big, they're too strong, their cities are too well fortified, they're too large, there's giants in the land. They even go as far as to say, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. Yo, the people, they skipped the whole mammal kingdom. They went straight to insects. They're, they're like, we're like bugs that are going to get stomped out. And so they debased themselves to such an extent that they saw themselves as little bugs to get squashed. They had forgotten the miracles of God that had just now occurred when God, by outstretched arm, sent the plagues on the land of Egypt to deliver them. They forgot all that. What they saw was the big walls, their small size, and that we can't do it. And the scripture goes on when you read the broader context to say that that entire generation does not inherit the promise of the land. They die without receiving the promise because they chose to believe the wrong words. They chose to believe the words that stood in contrast to what God had promised, what God was saying and had said. They chose to believe these words that penetrated to the depths of their heart like a virus on a hard drive, and it caused them to miss out on the good promise of God. The words infected them so much that let's read their response when they hear the words of these spies. They say this, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. These words that they had heard and believed and received were so deep and had so enmeshed themselves within their soul that they actually began to weep. We understand that they were weeping because they were so terrified. They actually began to wish that they could actually go back into bondage. Rather than take hold of the promise of God, they would rather go back into slavery they even began to wish that they would just die. They would rather have death than the promise of God. It culminates into such a degree of sin that they even later in the chapter want to kill the leaders that are trying to lead them into the promise of God. Do you see the confusion that ensued within their hearts? They were so confused because of the listening to the wrong words 
that now they wish death upon themselves, they wish slavery and bondage upon themselves, and they were even willing and, and, and will, ready to kill because they had listened to the words and these words had infected the whole of who they are. Those are the consequences of listening and believing the wrong words. And at the end, they don't inherit the promise of God, the promise that he had foreshadowed and foretold that was already theirs. They miss out on their destiny because they listen to the wrong words. The words that were shared were so discouraging and so disheartening. And can I tell you this morning, discouragement is the gravesite of destiny. Discouragement is the gravesite of destiny. What words have you heard? What words have you believed? What words have you received that are now hindering you from walking in your destiny? What words? You see, the people of Israel, they say in the passage, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt in slavery. But the irony is that they didn't realize they were already in bondage. They were already enslaved, but they were enslaved to a lie. They were enslaved to a lie. You know, the words that are spoken against us those negative things that were told to us that we heard sometimes many years ago, sometimes yesterday, they're like weights and bags around our necks. They weigh us down. They suck our energy, suck our life, and ultimately prevent us from walking into the promises of God. You know, I wonder this morning, what bags do we have around our neck? about the lies that were told to us. I spoke uh, to a young man once, and he told me this story. And he said that when he was four or five years old, his father took him to a park, and he had him stand on a ledge. I was about three and a half to four feet high. And he said to him, son, jump to me. Now, he said, this is a high ledge. I don't know, Daddy, I can't do that. And he says, no, son, jump to me. He still was hesitant. And his father said, no, 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 trust me, jump to me. And so in his little heart, he musters up all the courage that he can have, and he goes and he jumps. And the moment that he's airborne, his father pulls back and lets him hit the ground. And his father says to him, don't ever trust anyone. And you know what happened that day? That day, this young man, he got a hard heart. He got a hard heart to the love of the Father. He got a hard heart to those who want to be close to him. He got a hard heart. And you know what? That became a bag that just hung on him. To this day, it's just a bag. It's a bag that's a lie that's right there. And he goes through his day with this bag hanging on him of a hard heart. Struggles with intimacy and closeness of relationship because his heart is hard. You can't trust anyone. Maybe that's not your bag. Maybe your bag is unbelief. Unbelief. Maybe that's your bag. Maybe um, you're in the workplace and you've been exploring this thing called Jesus and Christianity. And uh, some of your coworkers say, Jesus, don't you know that the church is dead now? That was from the 50s, y'all. 
You say, you say, no, 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 I'm doing this thing called Jesus. They say, listen, there's all these other religions, all these other spiritual paths. Are you really going to believe that Jesus is the only way, that, that what he says is the only truth in regards to salvation? Do you really believe that? And in your heart, you hear, you receive those words, and boom, you got a bag. Unbelief. But there's other bags because Satan has a whole way, an array of ways in which he seeks to attach himself to us. And so maybe yours was rejection that, uh, that morning when you woke up and your spouse of many years looks at you and says, I don't love you. I never have. I'm gone. And the words pierce deep to the root of your heart. And all of a sudden, you put on a bag of rejection. Now, rejection's on you. Oh, insecurity, self-hate. Oh, you're that single parent? And uh, things are rough because you have to do it all on your own. Finances got a little tight. And then some of your closest friends and even family members say, I don't know if you can really make it on your own. How are you going to pay for this? How are you going to provide for your children? How is it going to happen? You can't do it. And all of a sudden, you start to believe that you're just your own provider, that there's not a God in heaven that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so you have this insecurity that builds, and then you even migrate to self-hate because you say, how did I make such bad decisions to be with this person and, and get into this situation? Why? And so you put on a bag. Oh, fear. Oh, man, the enemy loves the fear. Oh, this is, this is one of his favorite bags. One of his favorite bags. You know, I spoke to a young woman the other day. Strong gift for public speaking and preaching. And she talks about how she always struggles to do it. And most of the time when she's given the opportunity because people know how gifted she is, she'll say, no, I can't do it. And I said, what's going on? Why don't you just do it? Why don't you just do it? And she said, you know what happened when I was young? I was in middle school, and I was very active in sharing my faith. I would go out, and I'd tell uh, some of my friends and people in the community about who Jesus is. I would share the gospel, and, and they were, some of them gave their hearts to Christ. Some of them were impacted by the words I said. And she said, one day, my mom was talking to one of her friends, and one of her friends told my mom that, man, your daughter has a gift for speaking and preaching. And then my mom said, not that daughter. No, she's too scared to speak in public. And that fear came on her like a bag, like a bag. Maybe fear came on you and that at that Halloween party, someone came up to you and said, listen, tonight a ghost is going to visit you. And everyone laughed. Everyone thought it was funny, but you took it to heart. You took it to heart. And now, even to this day, you look under your bed and you feel like it's silly. You feel like, oh, this is strange. Kids do this. You're afraid to turn off the lights. Because the words gave you a bag. But then something crazy happens. Because you see, these are words that other people spoke against you. But at some point, some transformation happens. And the words no longer become words that people spoke against you. But rather, they become words that you start to speak against yourself. You start to tell yourself words, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. 
And you see, this bag is a little bigger, a little heavier, because you see, all these bags are the words that others spoke against you. But this bag is the words that you spoke against you. These are the bags where you say, I can't make it. I can't do it. Uh, Lord, I'm not going to make it. Might as well give up. This is the self-criticism that now you speak against yourself. And this is a heavy one, isn't it? Because this is the one that you wake up with. This is the one that stops you from taking advantage of those God-given opportunities. Because you say, they'll probably reject me. This is the bag where you say, man, I think I have a calling, but I think it's better someone else tries it. Because if I go for it, it'll fall apart. This is that bag. And you know, we have the enemy of our soul, and the enemy of our soul always wants more territory. Uh, the enemy of our soul isn't content to giving you five or six bags. If the enemy of our soul had his way, he would put thousands and thousands of bags on you. And in fact, I could reach into this bin and pull out thousands more to represent all the negative words that were spoken to all the people in this room, myself included. And then eventually something twists. And it's very slight, a little subtle, is that for some people, the language in your head starts to take a little different toll. You start to say things like, man, maybe it'd be better if I wasn't here. Maybe it'd be better, maybe the world is better without me. Or maybe it comes in the form of, you know, if I died, no one would really care. If I... Uh, I'm not here tomorrow. world will go on. Start speaking death. Yo, you don't say to yourself necessarily, oh, I, I, I want to die. I, someone should kill. No, no, no. You just, it just starts saying, like, life might not be worth living. And now, carrying the bag of death. Heavy bags. And in the spirit realm, this is what you look like. Covered with bags. Covered with bags. And the craziest thing is that these bags are invisible, so no one else sees them. No one else knows that they're there. Yes, you could go through your usual days, and you go to work, and you do this, and you do that. And, and you just, you make it through, but then at the end of the night, you're more tired. You're a little bit more drained. Your heart is just heavy, and it's because you're carrying these bags, and then a greater tragedy eventually happens. These bags stay with you so long that you start to forget that they're even there. You just live and the bags of all these lies and negative words that were spoken against you just hang on you and you're just going about life and you're trying to run after the purposes of God, but it's hard to run when you got the weight of these bags. You try to lift your hands in worship to God, and you can only keep your hands up for so long before the weight of the bags wears you down. You wonder why you struggle in your prayer life. You wonder why is the case that you walk into a room and you feel less than. Could it be because there's these bags? Could it be that you, like the people of Israel, listen to the wrong words? Could it be that you are being prevented from walking into the full promises of God because these words that were spoken to you sometime many years ago, sometimes yesterday, are just hanging on you? Lies that come from the kingdom of darkness. Could it be? 
You see, in the biblical worldview, all these bags, you know what they're called? They're called curses. They're called curses. Curses are real, people. Like, curses are real. There's a whole kingdom of darkness that curses the church. Praise the Lord that we have the kingdom of God on our side, so darkness can't prevail. Amen? You see, a curse is a word or action that is spoken against you, that seeks to dismantle your identity, distort your view of God, and hinder you from walking in his purpose. You see, all these bags do just that. They're curses. And the thing about a curse is that the kingdom of darkness loves to attach to a curse. You see, as I mentioned earlier, the demonic realm is real. And so Satan and his small little lackeys will attach to unbelief. They attach themselves to fear. And now you have a spiritual presence that comes and consumes these things. And so now the bags increase in weight, increase in degree, and you go day in and day out. And you see, the thing about this is that the longer that you hold onto these bags, the heavier they get, the more crippled you become. And at the end of the day, the bags start to tell you the promise of God, not for your generation, not for you. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Can I, can I, can I convince you guys that this is a hindrance? Can you see how this is a hindrance? Could you imagine someone at the Olympics, they get on the, on the starting line and they have bags like this and they seek to win the race? Could you imagine that? How absurd would that be to see someone at the Olympic Games set up for a race and they have all these weighty bags on them? If it's that ridiculous and natural, how much more ridiculous is it in the spiritual that you would be content to live every day with bags like this? People, it is actually the command of God to get rid of the bags. It says in the scripture, let us throw off everything that hinders. That's the word of God, not the word of Pastor Charles. You see, these bags, they might not be your fault. These bags of pain, not your fault. But guess what? These bags of pain are your responsibility. They are your responsibility. So how do we deal with the first thing we have to do is we have to repent and renounce. We have to repent and renounce. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, the weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Let me tell you something. Repentance has two aspects to it. Yes, there's a repentance of like, I'm sorry. And we have to repent and say, I'm sorry. Yeah, because you took on these 
bags. It is actually sin to believe something that is not true and that's, that God hasn't said. And so, yes, we have to repent in that way. But also repentance has to do with turning. And so we have to actually turn away from these lies. We have to say, no, we're now going to follow a different direction. We are going to believe the words that are true, the words that come from God's heart himself. We have to repent. And let me tell you this morning, if you are in this room and you are not a Christian, God is calling you. And let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, you're telling God, God, I'll deal with these bags. I got it. And these bags, you're never going to deal with yourself. Yeah, you go through therapy and whatnot and, and get yourself numb to some of the pains caused by these bags. But it's Christ Jesus that removes the bags. You see, when you become a Christian, you say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead in power, that because you live, I will live with you. And you step into the kingdom of God. What you're saying now is, God, guess what? This is your responsibility. It's my job to submit and surrender to you. If you're not a believer, this conversation is almost irrelevant until you're willing to make that step. For those who are believers, let me tell you, besides just repenting, there's a moment that you actually have to renounce the bags. You actually have to renounce it. You see, because as I said, um, Satan loves to attach to these things. And so there are actually spiritual forces that start to attach, and you actually have to speak and reject the power of those spiritual forces. Let me tell you a story that comes from my own life. When I was in college, I was very active with evangelism. When I was at the age of 19, I would go to a local community college and I would tell people about Jesus. I would tell them about the faith. I would pray for people to receive Christ, all those different things. And one evening when I was at the community college, I had this conversation with a philosophy professor. I was only 19 at the time, a sophomore, and I was telling him about Jesus. And this professor, he was beating me up like a pinata. Like, and candy was coming out everywhere. And then I thought I had a good point. And I said, oh, this is a good one. And I remember I said it to him. And I said, I said, Jesus, Lord, because of A, B, and C. And I remember he looked at me and he said, no, 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 no. Your thinking is muddled. First of all, I was highly insulted by that. I was like, my thinking is muddled. Uh, You know, as a college wrestler, I was like, you know something, Jesus, I'll be right back. And, and, like, I, I, I wouldn't choke the dude. I, I, was like, I was like, oh, my thinking is muddled. Well, guess what? Your neck is muddled. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. I left that conversation, and I, I, I felt like I had shaken it off. Fast forward eight years later. I'm in seminary. I'm in graduate school at this point. And when I'm in graduate school and seminary, the dean of my seminary was teaching a class, and he was teaching a class just like this, and he was talking about the power of negative words. He was talking about spiritual curses and breaking them off our lives, and so he did a whole teaching on curses, and then he led us in a prayer to break off curses, and before he led us in the prayer, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sit, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are some of those negative words that were spoken against you that are impacting your life and keeping you in bondage. And so everyone is sitting in silence and we're seeking after the Holy Spirit and nothing's coming to me. And I see like after a couple minutes, he's going around for testimonies and I see some people like, ah! God's doing something, ah, cool, cool. Me, nothing. And I'm like, I guess I'm good. Like, I, was like, I, was like, I was like, I got this one. 
not knowing I have a, a bag in my back pocket that I wasn't aware of. And so we go for a little bit more prayer. And he's like, he's like, all right, so let's see what's going on. And I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I'm like, man, I'm just so healthy. Wow, this is great. I'm healthy. Oof. Like this man, everyone around there, oof, they got some issues. And I'm walking like, yeah, I'm good. Well, at the end of the, con- at the end of the class, he said, he said, all right, some of you might not have gotten anything. And I was like, me, nothing, nothing, nothing. He said, this is what I want you to do. For the next uh, week or two, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you anything that was spoken. Just, just reveal. Just pray and see what happens. And I said, bet. So fast forward about a week and a half, maybe two weeks later, I was in a class. And the teacher was saying something. And somewhere I just got confused. I just didn't understand what they were talking about, this professor. And so I raised my hand to ask a question for clarity. And somewhere between my question and my mouth, I got lost. And I was like, I, can you explain? Uh, uh, why is my hand up again? It was so embarrassing because you're in the graduate level and you're supposed to be academics. And I didn't know what I was talking. It was one of those moments like, why am I even talking? I found $5. And so I had this experience And I remember I was driving home, and as I was driving home, I was like, I was really upset about that. I was just really embarrassed. Like, I was like, man, what's going on? Why did I do that? I said, man, my thinking is just so muddled. And you know, in that moment, I realized I had actually said those words to myself about once every three months for eight years. But I'd say it quickly, and it would just go away, and I didn't even notice it. It was a curse. And so in that moment, I took those words and I said, in the name of Jesus, my thinking is not muddled. My thinking is clear because the Lord's going to use my mind to impact people. The Lord has not given me that. He has given me a sound mind, it says in scripture. And I renounce those words. And that was the last time I ever thought that. We have to renounce the words. Because you see, when you renounce these words, you break the power of the curse. Now, after we've repented, we renounce, what do we do now? Now we have to move on to new thoughts. You see, in the scripture, it says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The scripture tells us what we ought to think. We ought to be thinking about the things that are pure. We ought to be thinking about the things that are praiseworthy. We ought to think about the things of good report. The scripture tells us what we're supposed to think about. You see, we have to reject these words, but then we have to fill our hearts and our minds with the words that are true, with the words of life, with the words that are going to reflect who God is and the reality of who we are. The scripture tells us that. And so for some of us, we can get so caught up in just rehashing and thinking about the negative words that we never move into what the scripture says we ought to do, which is to fill our hearts and our thoughts with the true words. And you see, we have to do that because here's the reality. These bags don't stay self-contained. What do I mean by that? That means when these bags hang on you long enough, they have an uncanny way of going from your heart and soul back to your lips. And you know what happens at that point? The sins of words once spoken against you now become sins that you speak against others. You then become one of the people that puts bags around the necks of other people because you didn't deal with them. And the reality is that in a room like this, we've all had 
words spoken against us. But likewise, we've all spoken words against others. Lord, forgive us. And so we have to have new, new words that fill our hearts. And that leads into this. It goes into speaking life. We have to now speak life. We have to speak the truth of who God is. Word says what he says we are, what it says that, that he is. We have to speak the words of truth because when you speak the words of truth, that now cancels out the future assignments of the enemy. So we have to be able to speak to the bags and say, scripture says, indeed, I will not die but I will live and declare the wonders of God. That's what scripture says. Self-criticism, why would I be critical of myself and say that I'm not worthy when the scripture says that God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us that we would live and have eternal life? Why would I tell myself that I'm not worthy? Fear, what am I talking about? The scripture says I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and soundness of mind. That's what the scripture says. So why would I actually take on all these bags of bondage and let myself feel entrapped by them? The scripture says, yeah, I might have had a father and a mother that abandoned me. But it says in Psalms, although my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord himself will still receive me. That's what the scripture says. Oh my goodness, I don't feel like living anymore or I don't feel like I'm, I'm loved. Well, the scripture says, behold, you are fearfully and wonderful wonderfully made. That's what the scripture says. Tell me, does anyone here know those scriptures? Does anyone, has anyone heard what God has said about who you are and what you're called to do? The scripture says that the Lord God has plans to give us a hope and a future, plans to prosper us. That's what God has said. And so all those promises that he has for us, God says, they're yours. Go, take them, take hold of them, receive them. Don't get to the edge of the land and never walk into the inheritance that God has for you because that's a tragedy. But rather with boldness, you have to kick aside all the lies and all the dead weight. And in fact, live out the words of Hebrew and run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Amen. You know what's so beautiful? This is what's so beautiful is that when the words of life fill your heart and they shed you of all these bags, you actually step now into ministry because you see your words of life, just as the bags aren't self-contained, they're not self-contained either. And so now you start to speak words of life to those who are afraid. You can start to say, indeed, as Christians, we haven't been given a spirit of fear above love, power, and soundness of mind. You start to actually speak words that actually remove the baggage from other people's lives. That's ministry. That's what kingdom ministry looks like, where we go and as broken people, we become agents of God's perfect love for the transformation of the world and the furtherance of God's kingdom. People, we got to get rid of the bags. We can't do what God has called us to do with these dirty bags, with these heavy bags. And God never intended or designed it for you to live with the weight of these bags. Yeah, I know that some of those words are painful. I know that some of those words ring in the deepest recesses of the heart. This morning, by the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear his word. 
hear the nudging that's happening in your heart by his spirit. And I want you to walk in that freedom. For the scripture says, he who the son sets free is free indeed. Would you stand with me? I want to pray a very particular prayer for you this morning. I want to pray some prayers of freedom here. Um, So if you would, if you're open, would you just close your eyes? And you know, I usually will put my hands like this. This is not a magical position, but what it does is it reflects the inward disposition of your heart in which you're saying, Lord, I just received from you. You're not receiving from a pastor. You're receiving from God. That's who you're receiving from. And so, Lord God, to the people gathered here, Lord God, I just pray that right now by your power and by the authority that is ours in Christ Jesus, that you would start to remove the lies and the negative words that were ever spoken by the power and authority that's ours in Jesus Christ. We break the power of the curse. We break the power of those curses. And would you right now, Lord God, in the Spirit, start to shred those bags, Lord God. I pray against every word that was spoken, every word, action that was done, that would seek to dismantle the identity of the people gathered here, that would seek to distort the reality of who you are, that would seek to hinder and thwart your purposes. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we break those curses. If right now, I just feel led, if you are remembering or sensing actions or words that were done against you, that, that, that could be the Holy Spirit bringing those to mind. And if that's the case, I just invite you in your heart or on this quiet whisper of your lips to say, in the name of Jesus, I break the curse of that word. I break the curse of that action. And so, Lord God, we as a people know that you are the one that is a true bondage breaker. You are the one that wishes us good. You are the one that will lead us into the promises and the inheritance that's ours as your children. And so we will walk in those things. Keep us, Lord. Preserve us, Lord. Heal us, Lord. We pray all this in the name of our Lord and our Savior and our coming King. Amen, 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 amen. If any of you need some prayer to deal with some, some words and deals with some baggage, uh, we do have a prayer team to, to my right, your left, that's willing to, to labor and beseech the kingdom of heaven alongside of you. And so I encourage you, get free, get free. And so right now, I just bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I pray that God would cause his face to shine upon you and to give you peace. Amen, amen, amen. We'll see you. God bless you guys. God bless you all.